Hello everyone and welcome to the final episode of season three for Sully's Open Conversation. Uh, we're in the beautiful Richmond Park and I am joined here today with Ben. Welcome Ben. Thanks for having me George. Thank you, thank you very much for coming on. Um, so me and Ben met probably about three or four months ago I'd say, a little bit, maybe a little bit longer. Um, but I'll let Ben introduce himself. Um, so yeah, go ahead. Uh, so uh, yeah, I'm Ben, I'm a mental health campaigner. I uh, started in the mental health world um, sadly after I lost my brother to suicide in, in 2018 um almost six years ago uh, and i realized quite quickly that actually first of all sam was not alone um in struggling he was 15 years old we were both at school i started speaking to people at school and realized that practically everyone i was i knew had something they weren't telling anyone um and had something going on I had friends tell me they'd attempted suicide I had you know, all sorts that was going on that i had no idea about um and so i really wanted to to create or make a change within schools and started the mm-hmm. Trying to bring that conversation to life within my friends on a project called Walk to Talk, which is basically just this big charity walk that we did with um, with friends from school. Um, and then I started doing more policy work. So I started a petition for mental health first aid to be compulsory part of teacher training, um, which did really well. Got loads of signatures, end up in Downing Street and uh, still waiting on. <laughs> and still waiting on that change. But but for me, it's just I've, I've, I'm a mental health campaigner. I focus mainly on young people. Um, and I do a lot of work as well for corporates and, and employee mental health as well. So, mental health, anything, anything people want help with, like we're there. Let's let's get it, um, yeah, let's get it front and centre. But mainly, it's getting those conversations out there, having the difficult conversations, um, and just sparking that conversation for policy change um, and getting better prevention, better education, and better um, support for people that that are struggling. Amazing stuff, amazing, and yeah, it's just a. An incredible, an incredible thing to do out of such a, a, a horrible and difficult experience to then change, change and turn that into something really positive. Um, so I've actually, but I think I've followed you on Instagram and stuff for a few years uh, and have followed. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Was quite an interesting, yeah, to see to then actually meet you and see you and now and now get to you know you is actually quite special and quite cool. So yeah, um, thank you very much, Ben. Um, one other thing that we like to do to start the show is if you could tell us or name something, uh, one positive thing that you have heard, seen or done recently. Mm. <laughs> uh, it's such a difficult question because I'm going to tell you why it's difficult because I think so much in this in this space, I, I talk about mental health and how you're meant to look after yourself like, all the time. Tomorrow I've got to talk for Mental Health Awareness Day and I'm like, mental health this and do this. And I think you, it's so easy to be a sort of do as I say, not as I do and and sort of forget to do those things myself. And I do, and I, you know, I have moments where I'm like, you need to, need to actually do something here. Um, beyond the surface level stuff, like I really like running for my mental health. I've actually started a course of EMDR therapy, um, and I have had my last session on Friday last week, and it has taken this incredibly excruciatingly awful traumatic experience and turned into something that is a nasty, not very nice memory, but something that doesn't carry the the weight of of um, emotion and, and the sting of emotion with it. So yeah, something I've done for myself that's been good has been finishing that EMDR, in, yeah. in, like intense, exhausting, very very intrusive therapy. Um, but it's been incredible, absolutely incredible. And I've actually, I think, I feel very proud of myself for having got through that because I think for a lot of years I told myself, and this is quite ironic given what I do for a living, but told myself that I can I was handling it on my own 
Um, and I just peeled back that extra layer of the onion, Shrek reference there. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and there was more that needed to be uncovered and, and sort of more that needed to be dealt with in a clinical way. And EMDR, EMDR has been just a, a roller coaster. But um, yeah, it's been it's been amazing. I can sit here and I've finished that course and I do genuinely, it has made a massive, massive difference. And yeah, I can only reciprocate and, and echo that because yeah, I finished my round of EMDR probably last month, I yeah. think it was now. And it's just like, as you say, it's just, it just changes the way that you feel about specific situations and experiences. And as you say, it is very tiring as well. It's obviously quite intrusive. I didn't realize it was going to be, because first of all, EMDR, for anyone that doesn't know, is called eye movement desensitization reprocessing. reprocessing, right? And you basically use your, like you can dots of different things. You can have dots moving. So you move your eyes or you can have tapping each leg or like squeezing each hand or sounds going each side. And it's basically, trying to like connect the two halves of your brain or something and then you can start allowing emotions to come through and i had this explained to me and i was like hell what the hell <laughs> that doesn't make sense right um but honestly you go through it and it just it it's like starts just allowing it, the way i describe it is if you imagine you had a splinter in your in your hand right and it just sits there and you, you can't get it out it's really tight in that emdr just relaxes the skin so when you then try and push it out comes out um and so it's not necessarily taking any of the emotions away but it's like relaxing your brain allowing your brain to just release more of the experiences and memories than normally it would um so it does work yeah <laughs> i went into it being like this is magic lucy my my cousin and um and it was yeah it was amazing yeah yeah and, and so it uh, in my first couple of sessions when we did it she started to explain like similarly started to explain how it worked and especially for so it's kind of specialized for post-traumatic stress disorder yeah. and they basically say that trauma is essentially this raw emotional event that you can no you can't because it's so kind of raw and emotional and traumatic that you can't store it as a memory it's so whenever it kind of comes up it is still there as that raw emotion and that's why people have flashbacks and and feelings of re-experiencing what had happened but what emdr does so it mimics the part of our sleep rem sleep um to then allow you which is which is the part of our sleep that allows us to process the emotion and store it as a memory but it does it while you're awake so you're obviously accessing that part of your brain while awake doing the eye movements and reciting the trauma so that you can then emotionally process it and store it as a memory it's still there like you still yeah. remember it it is just like less intense yeah a hundred percent and you you can you can just sit with the emotions a little bit more because i don't know about you and obviously so the reason i started all of this was because of a, very, a single very very traumatic event of my brother dying and unfortunately i was there and it was just a horrifically awful thing to deal with and i was only 17 it was it was nasty so i mean i was charged with trauma and and I guess immediately afterwards, I had such telltale signs of quite significant post-traumatic stress. Um, but what happens is when you go through, and I'm sure you'll relate to this as well, I'm sure a lot of people do, is when you go through that initial period that's like, oh, a bad thing's happened, and you sort of get six months, a year out, everyone sort of starts moving on, and you start moving on with your life, and you sort of, a lot of people just, you can just label it as sort of, oh, that was a bad thing that happened, but it's a year ago, right? Yeah. And actually, those sorts of experiences, they don't 
a year, three yeah, years go away, years, is 15 years, 30 years, they still, a, a little seed of them still remains. And until you get that moment where you can really sit in a safe environment with someone you trust and go for it, start creating that REM sleep, you know, stuff and, and, and move your eyes, um, so you can have that experience and you, you can't really unlock those emotions mm-hmm. that, that still need for, um, helping. I think so many people deal with this as well. When you have a bad thing happen, time goes past and then they almost feel guilty about not being okay because well, it's time, right? Time heals yeah, everything. Yeah. It doesn't for a lot of people, especially post-traumatic stress where, like you say, it hasn't formed into a proper memory because it's still a hot object mm. and you need to be able to cool that down before you can just file it away. I like that. Um, yeah. yeah, so it's, it's it, look, it's amazing, but I think with, with with recovery, there's no timeline to it, and there shouldn't be um, an expectation of how long it takes for someone to start to eat. Because yeah. oh, well, I'm it's almost six years ago since I've done a lot of salmon. I'm only really working out how, what's gone on, what's happened in my brain now, um, because it's the, only, it's the only time I've managed to actually be comfortable enough to to talk about it to myself. So that's yeah, that's kind of the one important thing I was going to say is that you have to be ready for it. So. Yeah then you, you can kind of ask someone to go to therapy and go and process those kind of experiences. But if they're not ready to, if they're yeah. not receptive to it, then the therapy will not work nearly as well. Um, so yeah, there's a really important part of, you can't force someone to go to therapy. No, exactly. It's not, it's, it's not something that you can just say, I'll go and do it. You almost have to know to be ready for it. And actually sometimes yeah. being ready for it is being in a bad place. Yeah, uh, and this is this, this is this is why mental health is uh, is such a difficult industry to suddenly or industry sector to suddenly fix because with anything else, and some people use the the comparison between mental illness and a broken leg, and yeah. I, I really don't like this. Yeah, I know we've spoken yeah. about it before it's because tough. a broken leg. Right, first of all, anyone with a broken leg wants it to be fixed. <laughs> Um, realize that they need to be fixed and it's quite understandable like how it gets fixed. It's, it's right. evident, isn't it? It's, yeah, yeah, yeah. You can see it basically. Exactly. And so and and that's quite like understandable how you how you do it. But also there's like that understanding of you need to, it's broken. Um with mental health, there is this a lot of people that are struggling, it can be very, very difficult to understand firstly how you're going to recover, how you're going to get treatment, but also the willingness to do it. It's an incredibly, incredibly difficult um, jump to make from I need help to I'm going to get help. help yeah. And that's a massive boundary. And that's why it makes it so difficult to actually, you know, get support for people. Um, it's just this extra barrier. Um, and, and also that just feeds into this and it's fed from this stigma of like, you can do it on your own and this stoicism thing and in this country of being like, oh, just go and talk to a friend over a cup of tea. And you're like, yeah, have a conversation with someone. But at the end of the conversation, there needs to be this, an action. There's yeah. more to it. Yeah. Can we book you an appointment with your GP? Yeah. Oh, we've got a situation in the UK where GPs often can't refer because there's no referral spaces. So I'm like, the, the first, you know, one of the big hurdles we need to cross is trying to get people, more people to, to be willing to make that crossing between I want help and I'm going to, I'm going to try... Get a, get a, start getting a bit of a yeah. plan of like what needs to happen next because that's a huge challenge and I think yeah I think that's a that's a really key point to pick up on as well is that people kind of have it in, instantly refer to kind of mental health and, and and I've seen it a lot and I think this is the trouble in terms of corporates getting involved with it and that they instantly think kind of mental health is to do with mental illness and conditions um, and I think the only way that I like to liken mental health to physical health 
is that it can be good or bad. Yeah. Um, yeah. And people are so focused on mental health being a negative and being like, oh, they're struggling or, or there's a problem or that they've got a challenge or a difficulty when actually like good mental health is, and this is what I bang on so much about, is that like when you're, when you're mentally healthy, you are more focused, mm. you have better motivation, uh, you have better attention, you've got more confidence. Like there are so yeah. many things that being have it, or having good mental health can benefit in everyday life. Yeah. Whereas like everyone likes to focus on our oh, mental health is just about it being negative and when you need help and when, when to ask for help. And again, it's like going for walks and going for a run is not always, is not always going to be the answer. Like sometimes there does need when, when you are stuck in things or you don't really understand why you're feeling a certain type of way, that's where therapy can really help. And I think that's where, that's where the stigma and stereotype has come from is that people just think therapy is about when you're struggling. Yeah, 100%. I, I think, and I've, I make this mistake and I fall back into it a lot of the time as well, of using mental health to refer to depression, anxiety, or, you know, those, the, the bad stuff. But And you hear often with people that work in the NHS or the police where they'll say, oh, this person has mental health. And you're like, everyone does. <laughs> everyone yes, does. Do, but, like, <laughs> so do you. Like, and it's what they mean is they have a mental illness. And, yeah. But also what I find mad about mental health is the fact that we just call it mental illness. Like as if we could just say, oh, Pete has a physical illness and yeah. people would understand what you're like. People like, understand what you're talking about. Yeah. I mean, let's list a few things you could have with this physical illness. You could have the flu, you could have COVID, bless me. Uh, you could have broken leg, you could have kidney disease, you could have heart failure, mm. you could have br a brain aneurysm. I mean, this is so, like, ha we'd never lump all of that together and just be like, physical health mm. or phys he has a physical illness yeah, fit, yeah. so why we've done the exactly the same with mental health where you can you just say oh, he has a mental illness right it doesn't mean anything yeah. uh, and, and and actually it adds to the stigma it well. does it completely because adds it's to the such an enormous thing and also when you talk about mental health we've got so many different conversations with that like you you rightly say good mental health is amazing it can help you in every part of your life it it determines how you look at life and mm. how amazing life can be for you um you've got sort of negative mental health that's not an illness so breakups or going through stuff like that your, your health's taken a knock mm. right doesn't mean you're ill um or you've got the the more severe side which is when people develop you know actual diagnosable conditions um there's this whole spectrum and, and i think we we as soon as we refer to it as just mental health or mental illness especially in the bad way we just completely blanketing blanket this yeah. Massive, intricate spectrum of of where people lie. I think a better way to refer to all of this, and and a better way to sort of um, re redefine our relationship with mental health mm -hmm. is actually asking questions and presenting it as what makes your brain unique. Yeah. Because my I brain, I'm really good at things, but I'm really bad at other things, mm. and I find some things easy and some things challenging. That doesn't mean I'm unhealthy or unwell. That just is who I am. It's an identity, right? And I think, you know, if I can sit here and talk about some of the ways that my brain's unique to yours and to other people, and it doesn't mean it's bad. Yeah. And the same way yeah, I can yeah. talk about how my body's unique from other people. It doesn't make it bad or good. Yeah. Um, you know, everyone has a very unique brain and a very unique mind and a very unique way of looking. That's what makes world. us human ultimately, really, yeah. isn't it? Like, like if we were all if we're all just like on a on a production line being like cardboard copies of each other then yeah. there would be very little diversity there would be very little kind of no 
basically differences and 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 ultimately i think rather than focusing on those differences as a problem we yeah. should actually kind of celebrate and embrace but also really kind of carefully allow others to understand and 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 i think a lot of where the stigma has has come up as well is the misunderstanding it's it and 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 again if it's being taught as men people if people think oh they have I've heard it so many times and people, oh, they have mental health. And <laughs> yeah. it's like, they might have an illness or condition, but everyone has mental health. That yeah. statement in itself is wrong, like yeah. <laughs> in, yeah, a, yeah. in every kind of way. So it's like the better, the better, more, well, the more people that are educated and understanding of the topic, the more open conversations can be, the more understanding yeah. people will be, more empathetic, more compassionate. Yeah. And ultimately, that is only ever going to break down the stigma yeah, and exactly. help others to to speak up and speak yeah. out. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think as well, like, the, I think the, it would be very sad if our goal in mental health awareness and in all of this was to just stop the negative stuff happening. Yeah, like, we've got to go further than that. And I think, you know, what makes me sad is you look at some of these studies that show level of happiness, and it's down, down from pre-COVID. It's down from ten years ago. It's just seems to be receding and receding and that's that's sad because that really that should be our focus is life satisfaction and happiness scores and we want that to be through the roof mm. because people deserve to be happy they don't, don't just deserve not to be ill they deserve yeah. to be happy yeah, yeah um so i think you know as much as it's important to talk about nhs and and treatment and getting people talking about the bad stuff like we should absolutely be heroing the good stuff and that you know whatever that is for you but I think the biggest thing as well is mental health is for everyone. And it's not the one in four that you hear all the time. It's, it's four and four. Mm. And four and four need to care. Um, and just my big thing is like, just learn about your brain. Like that's what I, I've done counselling for a long time now. Um, and the biggest takeaway that I've got from it is not what she's told me. It's just what I've sort of learned about yourself. Myself. And there's these light bulb moments of like, oh, that's how my. That's how I. That's why. That's I, why that's I do why that. Or well, that's why I think that. That's why my brain works. And then suddenly I can go into different, you know, like things that happen in my life. And and the, my initial reaction isn't frustration or anger or anything. It's like, oh, it's understanding. Yeah, it's my brain doing that again. Yeah. Oh, okay, thank you. Um, and I think my biggest thing would be like go and investigate what it is for yours, right? Go and work out what how your like brain works, how it thinks. Um, and work out what makes it happy. For me, running, absolutely love running. And my biggest thing is whenever anyone says, oh, I love running for my mental health or going to the gym for my mental health, I'm like, y you love it if you can take the watch off and not track it and still yeah. love it. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I love running. When I want to run for my mental health, I'll leave the watch at home and just run to because, smile and look yeah. around rather than run to a pace or a and, time. And that's kind of, it's funny you say that because like when I was massively into sport and playing football and stuff, like it it was always about how fast can I yeah. run it? Like how far can yeah. I run? How fast can I run it? But like the the one reason why I've now stuck to my gym routine and going to the gym four or five times a week yeah. isn't because I want to look better or isn't because I want to get stronger. It is purely because I know that yeah. to have myself in a peak physical condition helps with my mental health. And that has, and there's there's a positive byproduct of kind of increasing muscle yeah. mass, increasing strength, and and that I think is where people give up with the gym or just can't be bothered to go anymore because they're thinking like I just, I just want to look a bit better or I just want to lose a bit of weight. Yeah. But actually, it's totally about kind of being mobile and yeah. like being able to like we're humans. We're not meant to be just sat at our desks hunched over for eight hours a day. Like that's not that is that is not how we've evolved and that's not how we should 
be kind of directing everyone to be. Definitely. And also really bad for your mental health. You know, like just chasing numbers on a page yeah. is all we do anyway, right? That's like how the world works is like money and chasing the next number. And it's just like, and followers and likes and all this. Do you, for me, it's like if you if something is good for your mental health, then it you don't have a metric associated with it. You just do it to feel good. 100%. And it's the same with like people that say, oh, I love art for my mental health. And, and I find it sad when it then becomes like a like a business and everything they do becomes like, like a side hustle and I'm like fine I'm sure it makes you happy but if you're doing something with your mental health try like I, they keep an element of it pure yeah and, and non-competitive and just just focus on why you love it and I read an amazing book called um, Born to Run it's what got me into running um, properly and, and it has this whole thing about like human beings are born to run like our Achilles is the size it is because it's a damper for our bones and keeps us able to recover as we run huge distance hundreds of miles um, and it's all about ultramarathon running. Um, but its whole thing is strip what, strip it all back to the basics and don't run like on calculated paces and all of this. Just run, Just run. to a level that you feel happy at. Or Comfortable. So the way I do it is I like I run to the point where I can look around, notice things and smile. And if I can do that, then I'm running at a sustainable pace. Mm. But like it's not rocket science and i love it and that's listening exploring that's that's listening to your own body and your own mind yeah. rather than having an external indicator like yeah. a watch or a time like a timer to to kind of keep you going basically if you're doing it for your own satisfaction for your own benefit you are way you are far more likely yeah. to stick with it and enjoy it than if you are just like as i say trying to chase a time down or, or anything like that if you do it and feel worse it's yeah, not good. <laughs> you're not gonna you're not gonna continue doing it. Yeah. Like, and that, like there'll, there'll be times where I'll, I like I like running and I, I like being competitive as well. So there'll be times where I time and do all that, and, and you have some horrific runs like that. And I, I haven't been running for a while. I was talking about it with you earlier because I had an awful run. And I'm like, I don't want to get my trainers back on. But you, I think you just we people need to just strip back what they love and try and make it as uncompetitive or or try and create an element of it which is just uncompetitive. And and able to just enjoy it. Yeah, I think yeah. Uh, you know, you speak to so many people, and you and you, you hear about like they love the gym or anything, and their target, their goals are are not mental health. I know from a study that I think only twenty nine percent of people in in a study actually said that over the next three years their mental health is their priority. Wow. And I'm like, but like we've just said, if you focus on your mental health and you do things that you enjoy, your physical health is almost certainly going to improve mm-hmm. as well because things that improve your mental health sleep eating diet exercise also improve your physical health so and, and also it's going to improve your work so 29 percent of people said they would they prioritize their mental health over the next three years if you can then be one of those 29 percent of people then you're already ahead of, of the rest ahead, ahead of, of rest. almost 70 percent, 71 percent of people mm. because your physical health your um, motivation your health general health your mental health it's all going to improve and i think that's what we're missing. Um, people see the target and see the, the sort of, I go to the gym to be able to lift whatever. They're results driven, aren't they? Yeah, they're, 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 are, they're are end goal, outcome driven rather than, and, and, and I think a lot of people are guilty of this just in life is that they're constantly chasing that next promotion or that next mm-hmm. wage yeah. rise and they forget to enjoy the journey. Yeah. And, and that's kind of what mental health is all about is being present and enjoying the moment and enjoying the journey and then the outcome will feel just as more sweet 100 percent. because and i think that's why 
I think that's why my mental health began to deteriorate initially because I was constantly trying to chase something mm. that wasn't coming quick enough or, or wasn't happening how I wanted it to. And I, I was growing... Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Hello. I've got two stags just yeah. uh, calling. <laughs> The be- and, wow. and, and and that's the beauty of it, isn't it? I like, know, this is th- it. like that is that is being. That I is love just... Richmond Park so much. That's so cool. He's huge. Damn, that's... Sorry, anyway, you were interrupted by the deer. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind it. Um, but anyway, yeah, yeah. So it, it's it, it's less about the outcome and more about what makes you feel good. What makes you f- f- feel like you enjoy life? Like yeah. that that that's really the harnessing of it, isn't it? Like. Y- you, you don't do things that you don't enjoy because ultimately that is just going to make you miserable. Oh, absolutely. There's an amazing book as well called Ikigai. Um, it's based on this Japanese or East Asian philosophy of Ikigai where every human being has a one true purpose. Mm. And it comes in, the if you imagine like a, a Venn diagram, which has all the overlapping circles, yeah. if you have each circle, it's like what you're good at, what you enjoy, what you can get money for. Yeah. And all you think, and right in the middle, there's your, your Ikigai. Which, right. And they do everything. Philosophy, they, they believe everyone genuinely has one that they that, that is their absolute purpose. Right. Um. And it, and, and that's the that's a big thing here as well. Is like I think actually what when I've seen from talking to people that are struggling or, or or sort of getting a vibe for what what people are struggling at the moment, purpose is brought up there is like one of the biggest drivers. Yeah. This this constant. And we do live in a world where there's this constant pressure to have shit sorted out. Um, and just to know what you're that's doing. a social that is a lot of social media pressure as well. Yeah. I think you just like it, it, the algorithms just promote people that are doing well or or, or seem to be yeah. successful, whether what that means and what that looks like for everyone is different. But if you are consistently being slammed down the throat with like people who uh, it, 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 yeah. it makes you feel worse about yourself because Awful. whether you're consciously or subconsciously comparing yourself, it there is still that comparison. Oh, and yeah. and you feel like you think you're connected to this person's life, but like you're just seeing it through a screen. You yeah. don't you don't really know who they are. You don't really know. Yeah, they might be an awful person. Yeah, like they, they genuinely be. might be the worst person on on earth. They, and then a lot of the time they not, actually they're not enjoying it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's uh, it's a horrible. And I know from from not talk, not necessarily talking to Sam, but seeing like what was on his phone afterwards. There was a lot of. There was a lot of that comparison of not really knowing what he was doing, not really knowing where he was going, not really knowing like whether he was good enough at it. And even the stuff he was good at, it becomes so, it can quite quite quickly become toxic when you start comparing yourself that yeah. you're better. I mean, the hardest lesson in life is knowing that you're probably not going to be the best at anything. Mm. <laughs> like, I, I know I'm not going to be the best at anything. And I am, I've gotten myself in a position where I'm absolutely fine at being mediocre at a lot of things. But, <laughs> like, I don't And care. I think that's I what a lot of people are scared. A lot of people are scared of yeah. being mediocre. And yeah. I'm sorry, oh, but, like, definitely. the average human, like, every, a lot of people are that. Only one person is going to be it's the like, best, right? It's, what is it? The yeah. 0.1% are the ones that you are promoted and seen on social media. Yeah. And, and, and I don't. If I don't, if 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 that isn't going to negatively impact your mental health because you're constantly striving to try and achieve what they have, yeah, you're never going to you're never going to be satisfied with the life that you live. Definitely, and I so I, with running, for example, like I'm not I'm not a great runner, uh, but I've sort of made I'm comfortable with that. Exactly. Like I just love it, yeah. right? And I think as well with with my job, I'm like I don't want to be the next Tony Robbins, like selling out the O2 and all this, like. 
that's, I'm not going to be that, but I can still be good enough to be satisfied with it and I enjoy it. And also, I think we live in a world which is very materialistic and very goals driven and very title driven. Well, I'm like, actually, what we lose by focusing on that is the experience, the value from experience and the value of just going through it and, and meeting people like you and like and it's difficult because you fall in the trap and with my job I'm like constantly trying to think about like where I go next and what I do and what the goal is but as soon as you start doing that you forget that you could yeah I mean it's important it's important to obviously have those have that thought process but what what you what you need to be aware of is if it starts to dominate and starts to drive what you want to do because obviously if you then are just focused on what's next where do I go then you get caught up in again of not enjoying the moment not being present and 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 I think that's where we lose our authenticity. I think that's where we're no longer acting in the self that we 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 are meant to be and where what we should be. But we're acting as if like that's what I could be. Yeah. And that's that that's where it can get kind of dangerous if that oh. comes too overwhelming. And as soon as that's the phrase, I could be. I yeah. could have been this. I could have done this. Immediately, then you you start to create that tunnel vision mm. where you start to only see failure. And then, so, I mean, what's the what's the phrase? Oh, what's the phrase that's amazing about this? It's like if you only see um, if you only see stripes, everything looks like a zebra or something. I see, I see what you mean. Zebra. Well, a, there's a great phrase. That's not the phrase, but it's something similar. But if that's it's like, all. You're only starting to see. Oh, I could have done this, or I could have mm. done this. And a lot of people, a lot of people think that way then you're only going to see things as I'm not quite good enough to be better than I am or like, you know, all of this. It's really bad. And also this leads on to like an actual point from, from uh, all of this leads to an actual point here. And I think it's that one of the biggest lessons I've learned and the hardest things I've had to try and do is really understand how I can check in with myself Mm. and, and notice when I'm doing things that are bad. And it's like, we talk a lot about like, mental health and stuff but actually understanding and noticing when you're not doing something well or for your mental health is really hard it's really because difficult. you don't think about it like that yeah you don't think about it like that you're like you've come up with excuses and you persuade your brain that you're doing it for the right reasons so that's why you know i set really obvious things if i go for a run and i'm really concerned about my pace i know my brain's not in a good way and needs a bit of a check-in mm. right because i know actually what i really enjoy is just having a look at the birds yeah. right um, or listening to you know listening to the planes in Richmond Park as we're doing now, um, and if I'm not doing that, then there's a there's a need to check in and understand why I'm doing that. And I think really it's like what the the biggest learning curve I've had is understanding my brain and then knowing when things aren't how they usually are to be like why is that? Maybe I'm tired. If I'm tired, what can I think of that would have made me tired rather than being like I haven't worked hard. Why am I tired? Why am I exhausted? And getting annoyed at yourself really being able to sit and think and understand your thoughts and, and sort of map where they've come from. I also read recently that they surveyed um, loads of people, I can't remember who did it, surveyed loads of people and they basically gave them an option of receiving an electric shock or being left alone in the quiet with their... Oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. And it's something ridiculous, like... Eight, yeah, eight, eight, eight or nine out of ten or will, eight or will, will ten. say that they'd rather be in an electric shop than spend time alone yeah. in their room. And and I think this is all about being comfortable with your own thoughts and being self-aware enough to recognise them. Yeah. And I think a really important part of that is you, heart, like the majority of the time, we would not speak to other people the way that we speak no. to ourselves <laughs> in no. our own heads. No. And I think that 
it just shows okay you've got expectations for yourself and you have different drives and motivations but some of the things i catch myself saying to myself in my own head is it, it like you would not say that out 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 loud to someone no ever and 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 i think that is just like a that's just the telltale sign where maybe you do really need to start checking in maybe you really do need to start discovering what might be going on underneath the surface and I, and and i think this is a massive thing in terms of especially alcohol drinking yeah in society is that a lot of people and i used to think i was just drinking alcohol cuz i was having fun mm. but actually i was just drinking alcohol because i needed to avoid going any deeper into what was troubling me yeah. um and it's a good enough distraction and a good enough suppression yeah um but ultimately if you continue to do that alcohol is a depressant at the end of the day and it's only ever going to make you feel worse like we wake up with a hangover and we've just normalized hangovers but actually that makes me feel horrible like actually and, and you get that anxiety afterwards as well uh i i've definitely noticed that i have periods of depression if i've drunk a lot recently like it it, it is so it's been so ingrained in our society and so yeah. normalized but actually the, the the like the fact of the matter is it has absolutely zero benefit for your mental or physical yeah. health yeah oh that's oh that's such a good way of putting it and this is where it becomes difficult because i'm i'm i'd love to i'd I'd love to just throw away the 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 ties to alcohol because i mean like you said there's no there's there's zero benefit and we all tell ourselves that there is benefit oh because i get socialized yeah like well you don't need it was still a choice at the bar exactly it was still i could have had a j2o (laughs) that's my go-to sober shade and you have that choice still and i think it's it's a classic your brain just being like oh no it's okay i've got it handled it's all good i'm doing it for the right reasons i had a good night last night it was, it was worth it mm. and then you start looking at the the, the bill as well yeah yeah the amount of money or whatever, exactly yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly it's, uh, it, rack, it racks up quite quickly um but uh no it's it's such a classic one of the, the brain and uh, as i say it's like yeah just ingrained yeah. ingrained in our society and been so normalized and like the the strangest thing is is that like on the flip side, if you really think about it, people find it strange when you don't drink. <laughs> yeah. We should start finding it strange when, when people are drinking because yeah. sometimes that can mean that there are underlying issues. It doesn't always have to mean that. Don't get me wrong. Like, you, you, I can just have a drink, but do you need it? Do yeah. you, do, is it actually doing anything of benefit to you and where you want to be or what you want to yeah. be doing? And as you say as well, the cost of it is yeah. just obscene. Like, it, you could easily go out and spend 80, 90 quid on a night out, if you do that every weekend, it's what, like 400 mm. quid for the Someone's month? Someone's rent. Exactly. Like, well, not in London. No, I know. It's absolutely mad. I, th- I love that about like, when else would it be, n- n- you'd be the weirdo for not taking a drug? You're like, what? Exactly. But you are. And I remember I feel really bad because I started uni. Um, I was first year of uni and I remember there was a girl, um, Jess, who was on our uh, floor and she was, so fun great she was absolutely brilliant she was so much such a laugh but she didn't drink and i remember my first reaction when she, when they started saying that, i was like that's so weird mm. like you almost feel like you don't trust when them. you're younger like, as well oh, it's yeah, like that's so, there's such a drinking so culture hard. yeah yeah yeah. 18 especially at university and like oh, let's go to, wild. Yeah. yeah but it's i mean i think far often than is reported is it's just masking something and if i get to socialize is the excuse for why alcohol is good for you then dig a bit deeper into why actually i don't know is it just actually maybe a mask for anxiety or is it a mask for the fact that you don't particularly (laughs) 
relate to your friends. Um, I don't feel like you need to be around them. But anyway, I think it, the absolutely important thing here is just understanding that thing again, what makes your life and your brain and your body unique to everyone else. And if you can really understand that and start mapping that, and you can get a bit of an idea of what you like, what you don't like, what works for you, what work doesn't work for you, and what actually you need to do more of going forward and less of going forward. But because people are so sort of desensitized to mental health and, and really don't venture very deep inside their yeah. brain at all, we don't have those conversations with ourselves about, actually, do I enjoy this? Like, do I really, is this what, is this like something I want? Does it serve me? Life? And, yeah. and that is a, that's a real kind of question that I've certainly started to ask myself with things like alcohol is that like, what purpose is it serving me? What, what, what is it actually doing to benefit my life and to get me to where I want to be? And once you start asking yourself those questions and start saying like, it doesn't, there isn't, you're like, well, why do you do it then? Yeah, yeah, it's bizarre, isn't it? It's absolutely bizarre. Um, and there's so many things like that. I mean, it's same with the gym and this massive, massive pressure, especially within men, to just jack up in the gym. Yeah, yeah. And you're like, and you start to, it starts to feed back to you and you, then you start having those same questions again of I'm not good enough and all, all of this. It's, oh, what a world. <laughs> what a world. The vicious cycle, the vicious cycle. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's, um, look, I think we talk about men's wealth and it can get, to can become very complex conversation it can become very complex to understand but actually you know really it's very very simple you are your own unique human being you've got to understand how you function in the world how you look at the world really try and subjectively see what that is and then do more of the things you like that are good for you and do less of the things that are bad and are bad for you it's really that simple <laughs> and obviously unfortunately things happen in life that are going to develop into really bad things and you might face mental illness you might face you know actual issues with with the neurotransmitters in your head or, or experience in your head and that is a separate conversation yeah yeah but, yeah definitely but that you know we we can you we can prevent to... that from happening by being proactive about caring for your mental health though you can... especially absolutely i mean it's it's like it's like if you were to go, go drive a car right and the more positive habits you can build going forward the more safety features you build into the car mm. so if you have a car accident all these things might not help you at all. You might still yeah. be in a very bad way, but they stop. They just give you that extra You're bit equipped. of a safety margin, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, because I, I, you know, I do fight. I do feel people's just frustration sometimes when they hear people talk about mental health and being like, "I have my kale smoothie every morning," or "I go for my morning run." You know, like, well, when I was depressed, like I didn't want to open the get out of bed. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah. And I talk about walking as the answer to everything, but. I do think that the more positive stuff we can normalize in society and the normal conversation we have, the better. But going back to which my job and what I do, like we cannot live in a society where currently the threshold for receiving CAMS treatment is three evidence of three suicide attempts. That's what, actually, what yeah. What the hell? It's a trope. That's like having a, a, an oncology ward, a cancer ward, saying we're not going to see you because we need evidence of three seizures. And you're... oh your brain tumor is not big enough yeah, treatment here. Yeah, yeah. Like, it's just makes me sick to think that there are children out there that are desperate for treatment and actually having to wait for three suicides and, and, and before I think, they receive it. Yeah, the, the scariest thing in that as well, and obviously us two working in suicide prevention as well, is that being proactive and prevention is all about getting, stopping them from getting to that stage yeah. in the first place. And it becomes far more dangerous and I'm not going to say like irreversible mm. but less less capable of recovering quicker 
if they attempt suicide. Like if there is an attempted suicide, you now possess the number one risk factor yeah. for attempting again. And mm. they're asking them to do it at least twice or three yeah. times. Well, with the evidence of... Evidence of, sorry. I, I, yeah. Not just, asking them, sorry. But, no, but... But, but I mean, essentially... You need evidence. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like going to bloody court cases. Yeah. It's a doctor surgery. It is... It's really, really sad. And I, I put it to an MP once, like this whole thing, and I was talking to them and I was like, and it was a you know government MP uh, is in the government, and I was just like, this is the state. The three evidence of three suicide attempts for cams. Cams waiting list is beyond you know anything we've ever seen before. People are leaving cams faster than they've ever left before, and just completely deadpan. He, they they go, um, but cams was never designed for any of this. You're right. I know it wasn't. It wasn't designed, for, but it is dealing it, with this. It, yeah. So let's have the conversation. Let's not, let's not just ignore the fact that it, yeah, like. Yeah, you are literally, we've got a service that was never, and I do understand that, it was never designed to deal yeah. with any of what it's dealing with at the moment. It was designed for a huge minority of, of selective cases that were that were treated by them. But it's not that. Mm. It's it's actually picking up a lot of the, a lot of the. Um, and the these cases are preventable. Like if, uh, yeah, and, and, and these things, when you do start providing, as you say, in social services, it could be financial planning, it could be... Like, there are so many things that we can target that could help or a preventative measure for anything worse happening. Yeah. Or, or anything from escalating. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think that's what's being neglected. And I don't know... I, like, I really don't know what it will take for them to genuinely yeah. take it seriously. I know. I, and we try. I mean, like, I've... Oh God, I've been... What was it? The, the, the campaign I ran in. 2018 when we got to Downing Street and it was just like smile for the photo and then you don't hear anything and for five years yeah. and, and yeah. it's just like that's the level of progress you've got here um, but also I'm Dr. Julie Smith the um, psychologist on TikTok and Instagram yeah, yeah I'll follow her. she had an amazing real ones an amazing analogy where she was just like too often we're treating people that have a, a mental illness or are struggling in life and treating their symptoms and treating the depression or treating what they're going through. But they're not going actually, to the root cause. It's a bit like having a disgusting, disgusting fish tank and taking the fish out, cleaning the, cleaning the water, and then let, not changing anything about the habits mm. or, or the environment. Mm. And it just becomes disgusting within three months. Again, yeah. And then the fish is unwell again, right? Mm. And I think, what, especially with the mental health service, especially our approach at the moment, because of the lack of resources, means we can only focus on cleaning that water every so often. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. But also, but the real sustainable change comes by fitting a filter or like starting to do more, or like I don't know, getting a cleaner fish, mm. <laughs> or like doing real things and and looking at someone's uh, depression or their their struggles not as one thing, yeah. but as like a symptom of an entire environment that they're living in. And, it, and yeah. until we treat the environment then we're not actually going to create sustainable change in many people's lives. And the only uh, only people that really, that I've heard of, that really make massive strides in their recovery really are quite honest about the things they, the hard decisions they mean they just make about changes in their life. Yeah. Like you've just said, like really focusing on what needs to change. And sometimes the changes are really hard to yeah, do. Yeah. It's cutting off relationships with people. It's actually reflecting and being like, I don't enjoy doing this or mm. this. Um, and it, it, it's often really difficult environmental changes that that are what need what's needed, but unfortunately we've got such little capacity that we're just treating depression, the, and the, that's why you know we're prescribing more antidepressants and everything. Yeah, and, and yeah. there is certainly a place. It's for putting a plaster on a 
There is certainly a place for antidepressants and medication. 100%, yeah. But we, it shouldn't be at the cost of looking deeply at environment and treating these struggles holistically. And, I th- yeah, I, th- I, th- I think essentially yeah what you're saying and and this is what i've been saying for a little while now especially in suicide and suicide prevention is that it, it, it largely it's not it's not it's not been improved it, we haven't started reducing the statistics because people see it as an individual problem yeah and they say it's like uh, uh, they they've got that problem they can solve it themselves yeah. it's a societal problem there is some way in somewhere in some way society has failed that person for them to think or or feel as though Mm. that that is their only yeah. option out and or, or they're feeling a way that they've now got depression they've got anxiety they've got ptsd from situations it is that's that's yeah. what society has yeah. oppressed on them suppressed on them and i just that that's where the the attitudes need to change and the understanding needs to change is that you don't just let someone do that on their own that's an entire kind of societal that is an that is a community that is a friendship group that is a family that come round together yeah. and 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 support each other yeah for a society we're not very social are we <laughs> with each other uh, and you, uh, i've just come from central london to come here and you'd sit on the tube and you're like my god we're not a community at all are we we're uh, just a group of people that are forced to uh, live near each other exactly and we're under the we, we, we've just been given under the illusion of especially social media that we're all far more connected and zoom and things like that there is no emotional connection there no. there is no human interaction i follow people on my instagram that i don't talk to <laughs> i know what they're doing in their life but that's yeah. not even what they're doing in their life because half the time it's a highlights reel half yeah. the time it's just what they want you to see i don't actually know who like who they are now or what they're doing so it's just like again as i say it's like an illusion you're just you you think you're connected we think we're so much more connected but actually what is completely lacking and i think is a massive problem in society and why mental illness and conditions and suicide is prevalent is because of the lack of human interaction Mm. the genuine emotional connection the compassion that we feel we're each other's neighbors like we are and we are always we have always been social creatures uh, we have always had to rely on one another to get through things and it's just i think it's just separating us a bit more and it's yeah. just it, it's just segregating and it's and it's isolating mm. and you think you're you th- as i said you think you're in touch with someone because you're looking at their story or looking at their posts yeah but it's like you're so far removed from what is actually oh, going yeah. on well, it doesn't give you it doesn't give you even the slightest bit of actual um satisfaction as a as a talking to a human being mm-hmm. so right now we're releasing dopamine serotonin and all these really fun things but for the right reasons right mm-hmm. on social media releasing him for the wrong reasons yeah release so dopamine because you've got a like yeah you release it because you've got this and you're like this you there's no competition there's no like this is only good like talking about this and talking into a real human but I think with social media, it just becomes this really in your at least in your brain, which is all these Toxic, emotions. Yeah. yeah, really bad. Yeah, uh, really bad. Um, I th- yeah, it's just been an incredible chat, Ben. Thank you, thank you so much. Um, it's just been wonderful, and I think I can speak for definitely Tanya and I to say that, especially working in this place, to have someone that is so kind of understanding, it is just really refreshing and you just yeah i I think all i can say is you just get it (laughs) you do just you do just understand and you have that level of empathy and compassion and you do really care about helping others and and trying to sort out the mess that this country is in yeah um to finish we like to um 
if there is one particular mindfulness technique uh, that you employ that you think others would also enjoy, what what would that be? Um, I do I do love to, actually a few things. Right, just to tick off some. Firstly, to go back to what I've been saying through the whole podcast, run. But take you leave the watch at home mm. and just look around and run to a place where you can look around and notice things and be able to smile. Um, and if you can smile and look at things and notice that, oh, that's a cool bird, then you're running at a pace that's comfortable and sustainable and you'll love it. And always set the goal if you're going for those sorts of runs of coming back to feel better. And if you feel worse and you've done something wrong and reflect on what you've done, done wrong, then I'd say, I do love a bit of meditation. Uh, I'm really bad at it. <laughs> yeah, likewise. <laughs> so hard. My brain is naturally an incredibly busy place. Um, but just really focusing on, like, noticing my, how my body feels. So, and I know it's something with the MDR, right? It's like how your body feels. Yeah, it's like, oh, my shoulders are really tight. I want to make an effort to relax them. You don't have to, you don't have to do it like on a bloody yoga mat. You can do it on the tube. Like, work out, oh, my shoulders are tight. Oh, I'm really tensing my core. Why am I doing that? I'm just going to release my core. I'm breathing in my you know, top of my lungs. I'm going to lower where I'm breathing to sort of lower body. And just sort of that's my mindfulness, like meditation version of like, I'm just going to start breathing, doing any of that. Um, but I'm a bit of a, I'm a, a genre fluid, as it were. I love a bit of everything. Yeah, yeah. And find what works for you. Find yeah, what works for you is the most important thing. It. Like what, and as we've said throughout this episode, like the uniqueness of, our mind and our bodies, like what one what 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 one person will enjoy, the other person may not. Exactly. So exactly. It is. Yeah. Thank you so much, Ben. It's thank been you. an absolute pleasure. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Me. It's been great. Also, what a stunning. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what a nice setting. Um, Love it. And thank you all for watching and listening. Um, and we'll see you next time on Sully's Open Conversation. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.